Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. On this episode of Damsels and the DMs. Dear Damsels, I am so jealous hearing all of the guests that come on this pod and also listening to you guys who have the time and money to fund their creative projects. I barely have money for rent. I appreciate the notion to follow what makes you happy and to pursue your creative interests, but how do you do that when you can barely pay your rent? I honestly want to know some realistic strategies so I can be creative like you all are. I also don't know how you have money for dating. Please tell me your ways so I can ball on a budget like you all. Sincerely, broke ass bitch trying to be a boss. This message is intended as a reminder that we are not licensed professionals, not psychiatrists or psychologists. If you have a serious problem, please seek professional help. The National Suicide Hotline is 1-800-273-8255. That's 1-800-273-8255. There's some damsels in the DM. Yes, queen. <laughs> Tell us what's the vibe. There's some damsels in the DM. Yeah. Yeah. Please tell us what's the vibe. DMs, DMs, yeah, we see them. Yeah, we read them. DMs, DMs, we don't need them. We just leave them. Please. Yeah. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. I'm Lauren. And I'm Ash. And today we have Emily Rule on the podcast, who is a filmmaker, actor, writer, director, and former model. And honestly, this conversation was so inspiring to me as a filmmaker, but also just hearing how much she's used her personal experiences and turned them into art. I feel like she really shows how you can seek inspiration from the things that cause you so much pain. Yeah, I agree. This episode was so great because she also dives into her relationships and then struggles that she's been through. And as you said, like turning her negative into a positive, which is always such a great, it's it's such a great thing when people do that. And I'm always inspired by people who do that. And she's so young and so talented. It was just, it was very motivating to speak to her. I feel like after this episode, there's going to be so many films about like people's toxic exes um, because it's just, such a great way to handle an experience that brought you so much negativity. Hell yeah. All right, well, let's get into it. Hi, Emily. Thank you so much for joining us. Hi, thank you so much for having me. How are you? I'm I'm good, actually. I'm good. I'm up and awake and excited and lots going on today. And I'm so excited to be here with you guys. We're excited to have you. So for our listeners, can you introduce yourself, basically your background, how you were in modeling, and then your trans- transition into acting and then directing and producing? Yeah. Um, okay. So hi, guys. I'm Emily. I am from Dallas originally. Uh, I started modeling when I was 13. I lived in Japan for a little while doing that, and then I moved to New York and came to LA. It was meant to be six weeks. It's been eight years. Somewhere in those eight years, I started acting. uh, And then during the pandemic, I started writing and directing. And now I have my own production called Public School Pictures. So I executive produce other projects. I'm still writing and directing my own. I have a feature film in development based off of Blue Moon, the short film, and a TV show development based off of 13 Stepping, the short. Um, I still act in some things. I still model here and there, but I just consider myself creative, I guess. 
I'm really curious how the name Public School Pictures came about. Came about. Yeah. Well, I was in my car on Sunset, and I had made Blue Moon, and I had made 13 Stepping. 13 Stepping um, is a short, but also kind of a proof of concept for a TV show. I All of these things have been like happy accidents. But I was making these projects. I think there's a high of being on set that's unlike anything else I've ever experienced. And so I just wanted to keep getting back to that place. And I love the team sport and like just this like existence within a world and everybody working towards this common goal and that environment. So I wanted to keep making things. And I really love alliteration and pictures was always kind of going to be the end of it. And so I was like, well, what can I put in the front end? And I went to public school and I think public school has this kind of like homegrown, gritty, tenacious connotation to it. No, you know, no diss to anybody who went to private school. I also wanted to go to private school for the outfits, but I didn't get in. Um, and I, I thought that it worked and I like this idea of being a place for emerging talent and for them to be able to say that they went to public school. And then there's all kinds of different play on words we've been able to do. Whereas like my team and I, whenever we do like offsite, like bonding things, it'll be like a PSP field trip mm. and like all of the merch that we're doing for the company are like lettermans and tennis skirts and, oh, and backpacks. So it kind of evolved into this thing but for me it was like okay well I have no formal training in any of this and um it's very much like a homegrown operation so public school felt right and then public school pictures and then PSP and now it's now it's a thing I love that also I went to private school I had the uniform and trust me we really wanted like we did not want uniforms I would literally get in trouble for altering my skirts. I would like, I would sew them up and make them really like mini skirts. And then I'd get in trouble for that. <laughs> oh my God, too funny. No, I used to beg my mom to let me go to private school. Cause I like, I really loved Gossip Girl. And yeah. I like, desperately wanted a headband and like a plaid skirt. <laughs> that was basically my school. Oh my God. I went to private school, but it was Quaker school, which is it's uh, totally own breed. But yeah. Um, anyway, I love hearing what you're saying because it's so funny. I was interviewed for an article recently and they were like, what's your favorite thing about being an actor? And I was like, oh, you know, the ability to tell somebody's story, walk in somebody else's shoes. And then they're like, what's the most difficult part of being an actor? And I'm like, getting the opportunity to walk in somebody else's yeah. shoes. Yeah. <laughs> Just getting the job. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So I love that you took it into your own hands. And it's so funny because Ash and I both have so much in common with you. But when you were first introduced to us by my publicist as somebody to come on, they introduced you as a producer. So I was mm -hmm. like, oh, okay, like, let's look at like, see what she's doing everything. And then I found, you know, that you'd been modeling, you had this acting career, like you had so much more than just your producing career. And I'm actually going to Columbia in the fall to get my MFA in producing. So okay. I love that you thank you. I love that you didn't wait. Like you said, you didn't really know what you were getting on like doing when you first started directing and producing, but you just went for it. And I think like that tenacity takes so much courage to just go for it. Oh, well, thanks. I feel like I'd gotten to a place in my life. I mean, the pandemic was this big moment of reflection for all of us, right? And I was on hold for a few projects that ended up falling through. And I had, you know, still been auditioning maybe once every three months for some odd thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, but I had realized that I was just tired of waiting for somebody to pick me. Mm -hmm. And that had been so much of my adolescence in either career. And uh, I'm so grateful to my managers and agents. Um, but my kind of life path had been in other people's hands and that was something that I couldn't really handle considering I felt out of control 
regarding the world in general. Uh, and so I needed to like reclaim some sort of power over my future. And I had gotten out of a serious relationship that I probably just would have been a wife in and nothing else. And when that ended, I was like, oh no, I want to be me and like be able to like have my own identity and what do I want to do with my life? And so writing and directing Blue Moon, which was only supposed to be like three minutes shot on an iPhone with no dialogue, ended up being the kind of solution to that. And every day it grew into something more. And now, you know, it's been in like over 60 festivals and we just find a writer to adapt it. And I'm really excited for people to be able to see that on the big screen. But I think for me, like, it's interesting that you think it's an act of courage because for me, it was like, well, nobody's rejected me yet in any of these fields. Like I've had years of acting rejection and years of like self, you know, confidence issues regarding that just due to the amount of no's that you get. And no one had told me I was a bad director yet. And nobody's told me I'm a bad actor, but like I've had a lot of, I've had years of rejection regarding that. And so with directing and producing and writing, like I hadn't had that yet. So there was this kind of childlike um, tenacity where I just didn't tell myself I couldn't do it, Mm. which I think is like a really beautiful thing. And that was the life lesson that I learned in that. And I specifically made Blue Moon not to be in it as well like I was over uh being in front of the camera I think as I've gotten older I realized what growing up in front of the camera kind of does to one sense of self and I think I felt like I never really had any privacy and during the pandemic I felt like I got that privacy and it was something that I wasn't quite ready to like um let go of and then after making Blue Moon I kind of I needed to justify to my agents why I had stopped auditioning so I was like I'll just make something that I can act in And it was also like the largest opportunity I really ever had to act in anything, like the most screen time. And I wanted to prove to myself that I could direct, write, produce, and act in something all at once. Like I had never directed and acted in something. It's hard. It's so hard. It's it's difficult. And like, it was also like 13 stepping is, it's the 70% based on my real life experiences with like, you know, substance use and teenage years in New York and all of that. So there was like a lot of the scenes in that are taken from traumatic moments that I have experienced. So I was reliving a lot of things while we were shooting it as well. And there were a lot of needing to cry on demand moments. Uh, and so I think proving myself that I could just do that was really important. And I think even proving to myself all the self-doubt I had around my insecurity in acting because of all of the rejection, like. I now think I've proven to myself that like I can act and it gave me a really big confidence boost. Mm-hmm. So Blue Moon, were you doing this on your own? Like you wrote it by yourself and direct, like did everything by yourself? Yeah. That's yeah, so amazing. Thanks. I, um, I wrote it like in my pajamas, I think in like a week and a half. Wow. Um, it was so, it was like, there was this concept of exploring love in a single night, which had been on my mind because I'd had a few of those experiences. I call them like blue moons. And I knew that I wanted to explore love because it was the connecting tissue between all of us. And then I went on three dates with Mr. Blue Moon, who like made me realize like, it, it was like, it was a, we only really existed in that moment, but it, it changed my perspective on a lot of things. And I was like, oh, this is what people make art about. And so I then was able to kind of accordion out this initial idea, which was basically just the sex scene and be like, who are these people and what did they do before this? 
And then one of my good friends had recently started dating women and had expressed how she felt underrepresented in media. And so it's like, let's, you know, I'll make something that incorporates your story too. And that's how it became a queer love story. And it kind of, you know, expanded out from there, but I wrote it in two or three weeks, the two or three weeks that we went on the three dates. And then pre-production was like two weeks and we shot it in a weekend and I edited it in two weeks. I'll never do anything this quickly. Oh my God, you edit it too? The whole post-production was two weeks because we were trying to make a festival. I didn't personally edit it. I mean, I'm sitting next to my editor and I was there for every minute of it, but I didn't like press the keys. Yeah. Um, but I did everything and I, I used my college fund. So I never ended up going to university. So I just was like, oh, I have all this capital. Why don't I just invest it in myself? And that's, I used the first half of that to fund Blue Moon. I want to ask you something that I get asked all the time, which yeah. is for you to rank between acting, writing, producing, directing, in which matters the most to you. And for you, I'm going to throw modeling in there just to, you know. Okay. That. Yeah. <laughs> oh. I know. I get asked this all the time. I have the same reaction. Oh. Here. And it probably changes depending on the day. Mm-hmm. I'll be real honest. It's like your children, like who's your favorite depends on the day. <laughs> I think writing, directing, acting, producing, modeling. Wow. Interesting. So writing, directing, you said producing, acting, modeling? Or acting, acting producing, modeling. modeling. You do a lot of work with body positivity and like you have like such a great like outlook on it how has the modeling industry impacted your look on like body positivity I mean I think it didn't start off so positive (laughs) maybe it's the first thing that um and I think that it's something that I struggle with with which is why it's something that I talk about you know I've been aware of, of my body and it and how much I weigh from a very, very young age, right? Or just this like notion of what I'm supposed to look like. And then my size actually determining like my success, which is really fucked up. And I think it's, it's taken some years of therapy to kind of undo a lot of that. And I'm still in an industry where uh, body image is something that is still a little touchy and like being skinny is still really celebrated in our culture. And I think that I feel the pressure still like it had, it's morphed. I'm at least not aware of the pressure. And like, I feel like my standards of myself are a lot healthier than what they used to be. Um, I don't, it'll be interesting to see as how I get older, how that morphs and evolves. I think that we're constantly inundated with images every day then most of them are photoshopped. So like everybody's kind of got a warped perception. We, I, you know, I'm in LA. I like, it's, it's kind of everywhere, especially now, like I've started to do kind of events and stuff again, like public stuff. And uh, it used to bring me a lot of anxiety to do that because I felt this need to be the perfect little Barbie doll and that I was never skinny enough or pretty enough or any of the enough things. And that voice is still there. It's a lot quieter. You know, I'm going to the premiere tonight and I, I have a touch of, anxiety about it because I wish I was perfecter which isn't a thing right and that's like my own trauma and my own shit to unpack and unravel but at least I can go like the anxiety used to be so debilitating I just wouldn't go to things and I hear that voice it's softer I unfortunately don't really know a woman who doesn't have some iteration of that voice but I think being aware of it and realizing where it comes from is the is a form of healing 
And so I feel like if I can just like have a voice that combats the negative voice that exists within all of us, like somehow that can possibly be helpful. Um, just because I've been through it. Like I was the girl in the magazine that made other people insecure. And when I realized that I kind of couldn't really model anymore, you know, yeah. like when I realized that I needed to stop looking at advertisements and things like that to realize that that was me, then I was like, how does everybody else feel like this is crazy, you know, and then realizing that every image I'd seen of myself of my adolescence had been photoshopped like that that is a head trip and being on camera and I don't know I feel the pressure too I don't want to ever come off as I'm some like enlightened being who like fuck everybody else because it's definitely not where I am but I'm at least in the process of like I understand it and I feel it and I can somewhat disassociate myself from that pressure but I still feel it so. It's interesting how once you've been through it, you can see it so much on other people, you know, like yeah. I, I had a friend um, and she lost a lot of weight from her breakup mm. and suddenly everybody was telling her like, you look great. Like you look so good. Like you look more beautiful than ever. But it's like those compliments were coming from her losing the weight, which came from a place of sadness, you know, right. and it, it's like, how do we. And I don't have all the answers on like what the best way to advocate for her or, you know, tell her that I see that and how like, I'm not sure that those compliments come off as so pure as you mm-hmm. think they should or you want them to. Yeah. But yeah, I, I just think that like, I've been through a place and I've definitely struggled with body image. So I think like when you see it happen to other people, it's just like a part of you that never really goes away that feels that empathy for them. A thousand percent. And I think that like there is a sisterhood within that as well, because it's something that I feel like women feel specifically. I mean, I'm sure men have their own fights regarding body image, but it is a very heavily female um, issue because we're the ones being advertised to, right? And the beauty industry is worth billions of dollars and there's Instagram now and like everybody's bodies are really celebrated in a way that like hasn't, I mean, unless you were a model, like that just didn't really happen before. And like you could you know, you there wasn't the comparison, the constant comparison, and it gets to it gets to you. I mean, I still delete Instagram off of my phone every night and re-download it the next morning. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. I speaking of comparison, that is literally as soon as I got into the modeling industry, I was like, I cannot stop looking. Like, if I see someone come up on my explore page, I will stalk their whole account and yeah. like look at their body and be like look at like on their Instagram, do they have like what they eat in a day or like, I know. Yeah. Like literally obsessed. And I'm so guilty of that. I still do that sometimes, but just like obsess over someone about like what they eat and what they do in the gym. And then I'm like, why? Like literally like, why am I obsessing about that? Like I can only control like my, what's happening internally, like my brain and my physical body and what I put into my body. Why am I stressing out about like what somebody else is doing? A thousand percent. And I've been there and I've done that. And, you know, my relationship, my relationship with food is ever evolving and is really dependent on my stress levels. And that's the thing I think that I have to work on every day. Um, the substances were easy to kick, but the body image stuff, I think, is the one voice. Um, and it makes sense with how I how I was raised and uh, and even still being public, so to speak. I don't know. It might come to the point where like. I get to an age where I'm over it and I just want to go like live in the woods and make art. Yeah, I feel that. Um, But for right now, I like getting dressed up and I still, for me, it's, it's, it's like, 
for me, I try to fight against all of all of the voices, uh, the negative ones in my head and, and not let them not not let them prevent me from doing things. You know what I mean? Like that if I don't want to do something, it's because I don't want to, not because some sort of insecurity is preventing me from doing it, you know? Yeah, agreed. I was going to get into the sex scene that you directed. Oh, um, yeah. My yeah. own sex scene or the one in Blue Moon? Because I, I directed my own as well. Uh, I guess both. Yeah. I guess both. The only reason why I'm so curious is because I and I, I know a lot of other actors as well are just like very afraid, like deathly afraid of sex scenes and like how, you know, like if you get yeah. an audition or if you like book a part that's like you have the sex scene, like can you walk us through like the actual the technical parts of like doing a sex scene? I just have also- a quick question just yeah. to clarify before you get into this. So Blue Moon, that whole situation comes after your long term relationship. Yes. Okay. So you were dating after your long-term relationship and that was when you got inspired to write something about your dating experience. Yes. Mm -hmm. I had the relationship where like on paper was everything I should want and like probably the first love of my life and I might have, could have, would have married him if things hadn't been, if things had turned out differently, but it was the thing that made me realize like I needed my own identity and then that led to like me dating afterwards. Um, And actually Mr. Blue Moon is also in 13 stepping. Wow. Uh, so the actual person or just like the, the idea? The actual person is, yeah, now we're friends. Well, he friends owned me in a really wonderful way that like he was very communicative and I appreciated how honest he was with me. And we took some time. And then when I was casting 13 stepping, I was like, oh, you'd be perfect for this. And you said you wanted to act. So like, do you want to do it? And then he did it. And then he's also like my graphic designer and did the deck for the show. And yeah. <laughs> I love so, that. Uh, circles back but now it's interesting because like the idea I had of him during the blue moon phase was very much this like fantasy because I didn't know him I knew him for three dates and I very much was projecting my own teenage dream upon him and now I know him and as a friend it's it's interesting like the two different people but does yeah you know that blue moon is about him he does okay. yeah yeah does. and you were not upset at all about the friend zoning I mean I wasn't thrilled <laughs> but like <laughs> But I mean, it was funny because I remember him talking to me and me like verbalizing that his communication skills were really turning me on. And it was difficult for me to like sit here and like listen to him reject me because I was just actually really like attracted to how well he could communicate. Um, how, how did he friend zone you in like in, in that kind like how what, what 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 was the conversation? Well, so we went to dinner and then we sat on my we were sitting on my couch. I should sage my couch because the amount of time I had. <laughs> Um, and he just was saying that like he had really been self-reflecting and he had enjoyed our time together and could tell that I had wanted to keep things going which was true and like I think that was apparent and you can feel the vibe Um, and he had just said that he was in a moment of transition in his life he was a musician he was transitioning to a different label with a manager and you know, like he was very much in a moment of transition and that he was not emotionally available for anybody. And like, he didn't want to hurt me. And he knew that if this was going to progress any further, that he would inevitably do that, but that he still wanted to save space for us to be friends because he enjoyed the conversations we would have. And I very much, you know, was grateful for that. And I still feel that way about him today. And he just was honest and he didn't ghost me. And it felt very refreshing. And it was the first time I think anybody had really done that where like 
hey, I like you as a person. I just know I can't give you what you need right now. And like, you deserve that. So I'm going to let you go find that. But like, I feel like you had a lot of security and self-confidence to also have that reaction to it. Like, I feel like somebody could have had that same conversation and taken it personally and like been insecure about it. But you had so much, um, I don't know, just grace with handling that too, that you didn't blame him at all for doing it. And you were just like, yeah, that was a great way to put it. Thank you for letting me know. Oh, thanks. I appreciate that. I feel like what I had experienced with him was so special that I was okay with that existing in that moment and something about it only existing in that moment made it even more special Mm -hmm. like he didn't really have time to fall from grace so like whatever we experienced to know that like that existed in the world especially after a serious breakup to know that like I could feel that again Mm -hmm. was so incredible that I was forever grateful for that even so whether or not I and I told myself that because I remember the overwhelming feelings I had knowing him for 24 hours or whatever that like in order to kind of, I, I also knew that it probably was going to burn out because those things generally do because it's not sustainable. Um, but I just remember thinking like, I was just glad to know that this existed and I got a movie out of it. So like, I'm doing great. Do you and know you got I mean? an actor for your next movie. A thousand percent. Yeah. And now I have a friend. Now we actually, I would call him my friend. Um, and I think he's going to make a great person for somebody else one day, you know? Yeah. But so, um, going back to the, the sex, scene, your yeah. sex <laughs> yeah, Lauren just made me take a whole different Left road. No, I'm sorry. This is a tough interview for me because I feel like I have so much I want to ask you because it's not often that we have somebody who's like in a very similar boat to us in a yeah, life, you know? So I just feel like there's a lot that I, I want to know about like your filmmaking, but it's a dating podcast. So I want to ask about your dating. So yeah. I'm, I'm just going off on tangents because I'm just so curious. That's all. No worries. I'm here for all of it. Um, <laughs> The sex scene, I mean, so Blue Moon and 13 Stepping were different. Um, Blue Moon was the first time I'd ever done anything like that. I was friends with the two actors, and they were friends with each other. So they had a previous level of comfortability with each other. We had some rough blocking. I mean, we watched, uh, there was a show on Netflix called Easy that had, they did sex scenes really well. We talked about, you know, boundaries before, they were pasties and underwear. Um, it was a closed set. So myself and my acting coach, Lena Jorgis from the Nancy Banks studio, who's amazing and on every set with me, she was also on set for that. And she also acted a bit as an intimacy coach and did exercises with them before. But as far as who could see the monitor, it was just her and myself. Uh, my cinematographer was really amazing uh, and created a really safe environment. Uh, for Blue Moon, we just did two long takes where they just kind of did it twice and then I compiled it together. But we had had discussions about blocking beforehand, but it was, it was, it was kind of blocking and then do your thing and I'll edit around it. You know, it was, I'd never had sex with a woman. So that was something that both of our, my actors were queer. So I left, you know, the specifics up to them and I wanted it to feel authentic. I also wanted it to feel like, not a straight man's idea of what lesbian sex is because I feel like that's generally what you see. Yeah. Um, and I didn't want it to be that at all. And I wanted it to be very mutual and um, the moment of the climax, you know, we cut the audio and you just hear their heartbeat. Like to me, that's actually one of my favorite scenes in the whole yeah. thing. Like, and 
uh, we use this like Himalayan salt rock lamp with the amber lighting and bounce light off of that. And I have one in my bedroom. And so that's like, that was uh, the nice little personal touch there, but it was really beautiful. Um, and we shot that twice and that was that. Um, but they had pasties and underwear on and everything was kind of, you know, covered. Um, and it was just the cinematographer and uh, the, the sound operator in the room for them. So that was directing somebody else, which I think just comes down to extreme communication and clear boundaries and, you know, no nipples, cool. I won't shoot a nipple and you can wear pasties. And if I've got a VFX out anything, I will. So I think just being very comfortable with that. Also with Blue Moon, I wanted to show like them taking off their socks. I think nobody ever shows the awkwardness of actually like getting in bed with somebody. Um, and I didn't want it to feel porny in any way or one-sided. You know, I think like with straight sex, sometimes like men get a lot of the attention. Um, so I wanted both partners to be equally uh, attended to. Uh, and then shooting my own sex scene um, was uh, interesting um, and a real act of like compartmentalization. Uh, Dusty Lockowitz, who plays Jasper in the short and hopefully in the show, is a friend. So I felt very comfortable with him. We'd done a little bit of blocking. Most of it was the day of because other than like scouting the location, I hadn't actually been able to spend time in that kitchen um, where he bends me over a counter. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also six seven, so I was like standing on an apple box. I had like nude underwear on that we just like VFXed out. He was still wearing his pants. Um, I was completely topless. I was fine with that. Initially, actually the sex scene was going to be a little more graphic. And for the show, I might make it a little more graphic, but it, it kind of served its purpose. I think that modeling I'd always, due to, due to doing that, basically, I'd always been really comfortable with my body in a sense. I mean, I'm still insecure as everybody else is, but like there's a disassociation. It might not be very healthy, but I can just get naked. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I've done nude photo shoots and things like that. So that wasn't a big thing. Um, there was a, a few more people in this room. I mean, Lena, my acting coach was hiding in a corner. We had the mic, I mean, I'm sorry, the camera operator, the DP, the sound operator, and then it, I don't know who was on the monitor. Like, it was closed, but I, like, my producer was on the monitor. And aside from the sound operator, the scripty, and my acting coach, everybody were men. Um, and so that was different because in Blue Moon, like, the only people on the, the monitor, whatever, were women. We had a closed set. It was funny to just be, like, in the middle of a deep moan and then be like, can we, can we reset everybody? I think it's just creating communication between everybody. It's a smart decision as a director to have an acting coach on set. Oh my God, it's the best. So smart. Um, Because especially when you're, because I directed and acted and produced in something and Mm -hmm. it was really difficult for me if you, unless you, because you know, you don't really have anybody unless you bring your acting coach who can advise you other than like other actors on set. So I, I just like love that idea. I think that's a genius. Thanks. I mean, she was really helpful on Blue Moon because I think she catches things that I don't. She also has a way of speaking that I don't, you know, I am an actor, so I can articulate things to actors in a very specific way, but like she knows like the exercises to do before every, you know, whatever we cut or break for 13 stepping, I would do acting warm ups, you know, in holding and 
for me as well, because I was acting and directing, she was the one behind the monitor telling me whether or not we got something. Like if I wasn't, if I couldn't hold a monitor because I was in a scene, she was the one telling me whether or not I got something and she was the one directing me. So she kind she kind of filled in my shoes at some points in time. Also, it was such an emotionally um, draining and intense process because so much of it was based on my own trauma that she really held space for me. And she knows all of my emotional triggers. So like when I needed to cry, I could just tell her that and she'd give me one of them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and And we kind of have this like, soul connection in a way I mean it's much more an acting coach is almost much more because it's it's such an intimate art form um but I will have her on every set and I also think I'll have a therapist on set specifically for 13 stepping but I think having a therapist on set is also important as well so what was your inspiration for 13 stepping and how does it shift when you're putting it into an episodic so uh, 13 stepping is loosely based on my dabbling with substance use um, as a teenager. And I stopped using substances when I was about 20. I had an existential crisis at Sundance, actually. I, I booked a film called Newness by Drake Doremus, which is on Netflix. And it was my second audition. And I thought that acting was going to be the smoothest of sailing. And I was like, I got this. This is easy. Like, And I went to Sundance and... Um, sitting in the theater and my name was on the screen and all of my dreams were coming true and I couldn't remember and I had gone to bed sober and I was so empty on the inside and it was this epiphany that like career achievements aren't going to fill that hole and I had always thought they would because I've been working from such a young age and so I went back to the hotel and had to break down um in the bathtub which is why Lily has a overdose in the bathtub uh and started getting myself together and I was the first friend to kind of stop drinking in the friend group. So when other friends got sober, I was the token friend to go to meetings with. And I went to an A meeting and I was like, this is incredible. This would make a fantastic show. The honesty here is so palpable. And I had this idea, but I didn't really know I could do anything yet. I didn't really know I had this talent, I guess. And so while editing Blue Moon, I was like, well, what am I going to do next? I can't be a one-hit wonder. That would be horrible. Mm-hmm. So... um I started building the outline for 13 Stepping, which really meant just building out the 13 characters first. Uh, And then I realized I was going to cast myself in it. And then I realized that it was actually going to be a series and not a short. And then I realized it was actually going to be like my series. It's seasonally anthological. So season two will be a different cast of characters. The proof of concept right now is somewhat of a 20 minute version of what a 60 minute pilot will look like. Tonally, colors, some of it will be recast. Some of the actions have changed slightly, but it is to show like, this is the tone of the show. This is to show network that I can act and be this character. Um, Right now, we're currently on the hunt for a co-writer to help me write the pilot in the Bible. I have the overall arc of story, uh, I'm sorry, season one. Right now, um, I just need some help putting it all together. And then I have the ideas for season two and three and onward. But a lot of 13-stepping kind of, is kind of like taking the darkest moments of my life and and turning them into something, which I think is the truest form of art. And really the only way now that I don't use substances, it's the only way I can like get through the world and process the things around me is to turn them into movies and, and uh, kind of reassimilate myself into those experiences. So that was really interesting on 13-stepping. Like 
the roof scene. I've had a breakdown on a roof. I know what that's like, you know. Thank you for sharing that. That's like really, yeah, that's real. You know, the things that people go through. And I love that you use your, like the negative parts of your life and you're channeling, channeling them into positive by putting it into something. And then you're helping other people along the way, obviously with your message. Um, do you see yourself acting in each of the seasons? No, I think I'll act in other things. Okay. Season one is Lily's story. I mean, I guess we'll see the way that I envision it now. No, that could change. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to do other people's things. I want to keep doing my things. I want to be able to still produce. I think, you know, right now I'm running a fully fledged and functioning production company and doing that whilst also acting on a set is going to be really intense. I don't know what that's like yet. And I don't know if that's going to feel like too much, if that's going to be thrilling, if I'm going to be, I have a boyfriend now. I don't know if I'm going to be able to, I know that's exciting for that. Um, and he's a showrunner, which is exciting and feels um comfortable and like we understand each other um but I, I don't know I don't know if I can like I think I can do all the things but I don't know so we'll see well so, thank you for throwing us that bone because I yeah. think we want to get into your dating life yeah it's we, it's a lot it's 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 a it, that's its own show that's another show <laughs> okay so tell us why it's a show and then also I want to know if he would help you with pitching 13th stepping around I mean it, it's more of like the journey to him is a show Like how we got there uh, and how we got here is very much a show. Like I've just like dated, I'm like two degrees of separation from everybody in LA because I've dated so much. Like I got to the point where I was dating people's friends and like family members. So like I've been on a lot of first dates. Um, A lot of first dates. I don't know. I haven't asked him. I think I haven't gotten really into the process of writing yet. I've written another short, the silent one. um, And it's been fun to banter ideas back and forth from each other I would love for him to be involved in in things that I do I think he's really talented and I um, really value his opinion Um, but there is also this thing of like okay well this is my thing but like you can work for me or like you can you can like give me your little your little tidbits it would be interesting to see like what it would be like to be directed by a partner Um, I've never had that experience before but I don't have to make any part of myself smaller to be with this person Mm. like the life that I see for myself regarding my films and my art and like that fits with this person. Like it's only gonna get bigger because of this person. Like I don't have to shrink me. Mm-hmm. And he has no problem with me being all of me, which is great because I, I haven't really like experienced that before. I think the other relationship I had like as much his world and I was a part of it. And in order to make that work, I would have had to be the kind of classic uh, female gender role, you know, uh, that was at home and did all the things and there's no shame in that, but that's just not me. Uh, so this has been really an incredible uh, experience and he can communicate well, which is so refreshing. It's cool. I'm very excited. I'm very optimistic about this one. How did you meet him and how long have you guys been together? We met on Raya. <laughs> uh, actually, yeah, it's Raya's, yeah, Raya's my second home. Um, <laughs> Uh, we met on Raya. Uh, yeah, exactly. We met on Raya, and it's been like three months, maybe or four. He makes me want a scrapbook, you guys. Like I've actually made oh a scrapbook. God. Like I take up my Polaroid camera around with us wherever we go, and like I've created a scrapbook. Yeah, it's like it's that. another level. And is this your longest relationship since breaking up with your big breakup? No, I had like a six-monther. 
Okay. And then there was like a Tinder. Well, no, it was like we were we like dated for two months, but I was his girlfriend for like ten days. Uh-huh. Where I was like, I'm overwhelmed and I can't do this. I was like, okay, bro, like what? Um, so overwhelming. I was oh like, gosh. yeah, that one was like very whiplashy. Um, no, but this is like this is the one that like feels like it has the most like foundation to it when I think about like what I actually want in a life partner and what I want and a potential like parental figure for mm-hmm. a future child of mine. Do you know what I mean? Like, I feel yeah. like now I've kind of grown up in that sense and started looking for things. Like you, you realize through kind of process of elimination, like the things that you actually want in someone and the things that you don't want. So this is, he's, it's, he's a gem. I'm, I'm happy to have found him. So you said that you dated a lot beforehand. What do you think you noticed immediately and then in the course of going on dates that made him different from the others? Well, I think one of the things that I started doing maybe a couple of years ago is just like checking in with how my nervous system felt around somebody. Hmm. I felt at rest. Um, We were texting for like a week before we actually met because I went to some TV festival in Austin. Um, And so we didn't get to meet right away. But the first couple of days of texting, which happened to be over a weekend, like we didn't stop texting. It was just this insane like banter back and forth. Hmm. Um, And it felt like I already knew this person, which I've had before and sometimes turns out to be nothing. Sometimes you never meet those people. Sometimes that burns out. When that didn't burn out and we met in person, we met in person and it was like, cool. It wasn't the like blue moon, like out of body thing, which is not sustainable, but it was exciting. And uh, I had told him that I was reading the Truffaut Hitchcock book. And, uh, and so he was like, Oh, I have another book for you that I think you should read. And it was, uh, like the Godfather notes, uh, Coppola's Godfather notes, this like mm-hmm. thick book. And, um, after dinner, he gave me the book and there was this note in it basically saying like, you know, a pick a or B, like the state went really well. And I'd love to see you again. Or like, I'll take this book as a consolation prize. And I was like, Oh, that was really thoughtful and really cute. And it's actually on my coffee table. And then on the second date, we went to Joffrey's in Malibu. He lives in Malibu. And uh, I showed him my deck for, for 13 Stepping. And it had the big, like, you know, plot twist of season one. And I think in that moment, he, like, really fell for me. Because he, like, saw... I think it was, like, the writer and him saying, like, oh, like, she's 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 something else. Uh, and then we, like, stayed up all night. This was a Sunday night. And I don't do this because I work. And, you know, world domination starts at 9 a.m. every day. But we, and he doesn't either because he's writing season two of his show. Um, But we stayed up all night together and he lives on the PCH on the beach and we were on this couch next to the ocean and like just stayed up all night um, talking to each other. And it just felt like I had met him in a prior life or I'd met the other kind of half of my soul in some really poetic way. Uh, And he just felt really safe. He's always felt really safe. Like, I, I haven't felt like I needed to keep one foot out um, emotionally, if that makes any sense. You know, I think in the past, due to my own abandonment brand of trauma, I would always kind of keep one foot out the door. Mm-hmm. And I haven't really felt the need to do that. And then, like, that date just kind of has never ended. Uh, we still see each other. I'll see him tonight. Um, we're going to the Game of Thrones premiere, which is super exciting. <gasps> oh, um, and uh, we see each other a couple times a week and on the weekends. But for two people who like don't have time for each other, the fact that we make the time makes it really special. And I've never communicated like 
as well. That is such a beautiful story. I love that. Thanks. Well, I was going to say, should we jump into the letter? I think so. Okay, Lauren, you want to read it? I will. Dear damsels, I am so jealous hearing all of the guests that come on this pod and also listening to you guys who have the time and money to fund their creative projects. I barely have money for rent. I appreciate the notion to follow what makes you happy and to pursue your creative interests, but how do you do that when you can barely pay your rent? I honestly want to know some realistic strategies so I can be creative like you all are. I also don't know how you have money for dating. I feel like the expectation to go to workout classes, eat healthy, have my nails and hair done, pay for a premium hinge membership, just so I can find a partner feels so unaffordable now. Please tell me your ways so I can ball on a budget like you all. Sincerely, broke ass bitch trying to be a boss. Hi, broke ass bitch trying to be (laughs) You're very funny. Um, Really funny. (laughs) Well, my experience with dating is that they've always paid for dinner. Not always, but when they didn't, normally there wasn't a second date. Some of the greatest things made have been done on a lower budget because it forces you to have a creativity that you wouldn't necessarily do otherwise. Um, I think you can work out with an app on your own and it doesn't necessarily have to be in classes. I think we can do our own manis. We can, there's a lot of taking things into our own hands. I think that we can do, I think that we're sold a lot of things and a lot of services that actually we're capable of ourselves. And I think figuring out what those things are could be really helpful. And like finding the places that you like to go and seeing if you can meet somebody there and not necessarily needing a hinge app, meeting people in real life. I also don't like the expectation that you have to go to workout classes, get your hair and nails done just to find a partner. Like, I think that you should spend your money on whatever is going to make you feel like the best version of yourself. Whatever that means. Yeah, exactly. And that's going to make you the most attractive to a partner is just feeling the best about yourself. And whether you find a partner or not, you'll feel better about yourself. And that will be the best. I also think it's interesting your question about creative pursuits because for sure filming is expensive. I'm not going to lie to you, but I think that there's a lot of ways that you can do it, whether you have the money to film it right now or not. Like so many people do GoFundMes to fund their film. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. Reach out to at public school pictures. We're investing in projects. There you go. Exactly. No, there's, I think GoFundMe. I also really love seed and spark. Yes. Um, they're very cool. There's Kickstarters. Yeah. Yeah. This industry, because there's so many up and coming people and people that just want to create then don't really like, yes, money's the thing right now. And like, you know, people do want to get paid, but there are a lot of people who just like want to expand their portfolio and their page that they're willing to like do things for a trade and collaborate. So I would look at collaborations and then also this like expectation, as you said, Lauren, to like go to workout classes and eat healthy and do this and do that. Like you don't need a, a premium hinge membership. You don't need that. As Emily said, like go do things that you like and you'll find people there like organically. I don't think you need to be doing all these things to get a partner. Like that's, that's shouldn't be an expert. Yeah, I feel like that's advertising getting to us or that's like, yes. you know, that's kind of the, the money machine getting to us. Or what you need to be a hot girl and like that whole type of I mean, yeah. That's social. Go be friends with people who literally work at places like Rumble and uh Carries and Berries and and (laughs) Carries and Berries. I feel like I sounded like my mom when I did that. (laughs) Berries and berries and cherries. (laughs) Go be friends with people who work there and then get free workout classes. Like 
you know, you can get around paying for shit and save that money and put it towards projects that you actually care about or put it towards like mental health and getting obviously, you know, like mental health is health is a really important thing and also eating healthy and doing all this stuff. But there's, there's ways to do it on a budget for sure. Yeah. I think so too. And I think self-care looks different to everybody. And sometimes going to workout class every day is not an act of self-care. Yeah. Also, you didn't say exactly what you were going to, like what your creative pursuit is, but like, I'm just going to assume for the sake of you wanting to, you know, write into us and knowing what we do that, you know, you have this interest in filmmaking. So just start writing now because the more content you have built up when you meet somebody, um, you know, I hear all the time about people having a great idea and then somebody fell into their lap who helped them make that great idea come to life. So have all your great ideas ready to go. And then there's so many free networking things that you could go to at least in LA like we audition is hosting an event tonight I think at the Godfrey and that's anybody can go you can bring any actor to that so I mean obviously this will not be tonight by the time this episode airs but my point is like subscribe to all of the organizations that you don't have to pay anything for that feel aligned with the creative pursuits that you want to do and there will probably be more free opportunities than you realize like Obviously, SAG costs something to join, but once you're in SAG, there's a lot of opportunities that are free for members that also have mm-hmm. free receptions with mm-hmm. lots of food and lots of drinks. So if you're yeah, really I agree. healthy, you can do that too. Mm-hmm. Totally. So I hope that that helps you, broke-ass bitch trying to be a boss, but feel free to write in if you want more like actionable things for us to lay out for you because we are more than happy to do that. And for reals, like reach out to info at publicschoolpictures.com. We are honestly looking for projects to invest in. So I love that. There you go. Well, with that, Emily, thank you so much for coming on and talking to us about basically like everything. You know. We, yeah, we related. You just are such a relatable human being. And oh, thanks, girl. I enjoyed this conversation a lot. Yeah, thank too. you so much. And please tell everybody where they can find you and follow yeah. everything that you're doing. So you can follow me at Emily Wool on Instagram. That's Emily R-U-H-L. And then in my bio is at Public School Pictures, uh, which is my production company. And you can go to publicschoolpictures.com to find Blue Moon, which you can watch, um, a trailer for 13 Stepping, and the Corey Road trailer, which is another short that I produced and is where kind of you'll be up to date on all the latest content that we're doing um but yeah thank you (laughs) thank you so much emily thanks for having me well you guys that was another episode of damsels in the dms as usual please send us your voice notes send us emails send us dms send us anonymous messages through our link and we're always keeping an eye out we're always reading your letters and we actually we really love reading your letters they're so great Please subscribe and rate us on Apple and Spotify. You guys don't know how helpful that is for us. We really appreciate all of your thoughts. And if you have any insight on what could be better or guests that you suggest or topics that you think we should be covering, please let us know. Well, thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of Damsels in the DMs. Until next time. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. DMs, DMs. We don't need them. We just leave them. Please. It's going down in the DMs. Bye. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. 
You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.